Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. Today, we're talking about a whole new way to explore, and in some cases, a new way to live. We've got Alex Welsh and Pat Burns from Yama Vans on the show today. Uh, Together, they're going to share everything you need to know about van conversions, van life, and even using vans just as a better way to explore the mountains. Hi, Hi, Alex and Patrick. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Hey, thank you. I'm super excited to be here. I've told you uh, in the past. I'm just fascinated by this new kind of approach to to van life, and I guess they did it back in the 70s and 80s, but, you know, kind of kitting out vans to either go on kind of, you know, even just weekends or all the way up to like people living in their vans. But it seems more and more everyone I'm talking to is looking at some form of van life. You know, you, you guys do this full time. This is your business. Why do you think van life's taking off so much right now? Yeah, I think there's a there's a ton of reasons for it. I think some of the biggest ones, though, are People are able to work more freely these days. So whether it's full-time remote work from home, part-time remote work, more flexible schedules, uh, digital nomads, things like that. I think there's a, a big uptick in those who can kind of choose their own schedule in, in some form or fashion. So I think that's been a big part of it. Um, I also think that people are choosing vans instead of RVs or more classic RVs. Um, just because of the sheer size, I think people are find it more comfortable to drive something like a Sprinter van. Um, and I think it's obviously a lot more capable as well. So I think those combining factors have made this really kind of pop over the last kind of five, 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I'd say too, like even in the last few years with the pandemic, like people are starting to have kind of the great realization and uh, reprioritizing like what's important to them and their life. And so they're looking for ways that they can build in different forms of travel and um, and living even. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty fun. We have some really, really cool clients that we get to work with. It's funny. I just I just had a guest on a few weeks ago. and We talked about how kind of, you know, people are kind of reprioritizing like work versus, you know, leisure or I, I almost think the outdoors and travel, it isn't leisure for, for a lot of people. That's what brings meaning to their life. And I think people are realizing, hey, you know, if I can go live in the mountains and work from there, why am I going to an office or working out of a cafe in, in some big city? Is gas mileage a big reason? You, you know, you mentioned people always were in Winnebago's and I, I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. Like everyone had these massive, you know, Winnebago's used to see going out to the mountains every weekend and you, I never see them now. Is gas mileage another aspect that's really driving people towards kind of smaller, smaller forms when they're doing bands? I can't say that that's definitely a factor. I would imagine it's part of it, but like I know for me growing up, we grew up in, in RVs. We always had these like busted old 1980s, 1970s uh, class C RVs and, uh, and they guzzled a ton of fuel. Um, and, you know, with today's gas prices, like I just drove from Vancouver back to Calgary yesterday from a, a work trip and I paid 230 a liter for, for fuel in BC. So, you know, like with that kind of thing, I, I feel like that is a factor on some level, um, but I don't think it's one of the big drivers. I think at the end of the day, it's people are preferring uh, minimalism at their own comfort level. What I mean is I think that the generation of even like older millennials 
um, down to the the folks that are even in the young millennial side, like Alex and I, I think that there's just a trend towards uh, less being more. And I think that that trend's only increasing. I think it aligns very well with the sprinters in that you only need 92 square feet. You don't need a 30 foot motorhome. So mm. um, I think that's a, a more of a, a macro trend that's happening beyond gas prices. Yeah. And I think too, like, yeah, to tag, tag team on that, even like people in the older generations, like a lot of them have decided to move into a sprinter for their adventure travel because they're graduating from a tent. They're like, we don't want to sleep on the ground anymore. We want just a little bit more creature comforts, but we want to be fully submersed in the outdoors and we want to be able to kind of enjoy what we do and and be comfortable, have a good night's sleep, Mm -hmm. have a really solid kind of little mobile base camp to do our cross-country skiing or mountain biking or whatever it is, right? Yeah, and I think even on that too, like it comes from tent up to vans, but it also comes from, I guess, to further go on my point there from RVs down to vans is I think we've had some clients in the past where they've, they've had RVs, they've had big ones, they've had small ones, they've had other van builds, but they tend to, as they get more experienced in RV or, in, or even van travel, they tend to simplify what they have. For example, we had a client about two or three years ago and when he built his van with us, it was his fourth custom van that he had built, which is quite rare. It's a, you know it's quite a new industry, relatively speaking. But anyways, what we had a lot of good conversations with him, and he said that his very first van was over the top complex. He has every single possible bell and whistle in this thing, because on paper he thought that made sense. Um, and so he said on his second van is a little you know a couple less you know a little bit less features here and there, and then his third is more simple, and his fourth for us was kind of this perfect balance of of the comfort features that you want and things that you really need and actually use but we kind of cut away all the fat and all the stuff that you don't think that you'll need to kind of give you this nice balance of really what you need in a very elegant way and so i think that's kind of a good description of that trend overall is kind mm. of cutting away and like whittling away all the stuff you don't need to really focus on what's what's important and what you really need to have with you mm-hmm and it's interesting, every time I've ever gone like on a big back or, you know, through hike, when I come back, I always just throw out a ton of stuff because after living out of a 60 liter backpack for a month or two, you realize, oh, do I need to have this wall of books? It's just shit that's, you know, crowding out my life. A lot of people look at bands of, they want it for their weekend trips. They want it to, you know, go do a couple weeks, you know, longer trips. But there's also people that are like living in vans. In some cases, it's just like if you're in Vancouver, it's expensive. Um, so they're doing that because they can't live in, you know, expensive cities or they're just choosing to live and, you know, go on to, uh, you know, down the States BLM land or here in some of the provincial wild areas where you can just kind of set up wherever. Do you notice a lot of your customers are, are looking at this as a, a way to live full time, like, you know, ditch the house and and live in their vans? The majority of our customers are part time. But sometimes that means pretty extended adventures too, like up to six months they'll be on the road. Um, we do probably have about 20, 25% of our clients who do move into their vans full time, which is pretty cool. And uh, there's a, a couple different reasons for this, but um, what you said there just reminded me, we had a client last year who um, lives in San Francisco. Uh, she works in tech and she approached us about a van build and was thinking about it part-time at first. And after talking to her a little bit more, she was like, you know what? I think it makes sense for me to kind of switch my mindset and look at this as like a home. She's like, I'm not gonna be able to afford a home in San Francisco, so maybe I should just move into my van. And so that's what she did. We built out a van for her and she's been living in it 
almost full-time for a year now. Mm, I think actually over a year now. Just over yeah. a year, um, which is pretty cool. And she's uh, she's doing an epic road trip now. She just uh, is moving from San Francisco to New York in her van. So, so it's kind of cool. It's funny. I remember seeing a YouTube video years ago about a guy, again, in San Francisco. I, I think he bought an old U-Haul. And he just parked it in the parking lot. He's like, well, you know, there's stuff going 24-7. There's food. There's showers. He's like, I just need a place to sleep. And so he bought an old U-Haul and put a bed and, like, eventually customized it. So when people want to, like, work out of their vans or, like, have, like, this, you know, digital nomad, how do you help them do that? Because I can understand just living and traveling, but then, like, having a workspace in there, I've seen some, but it's usually, like, it's it's a challenging workspace. Have you guys solved that riddle of enabling people to kind of be comfortable working in a place they're living that's you know 90 square feet yeah there's a few ways to do that and it, some of the time in the past it's come down to client preference so for example we have several of our clients but i think suits our clientele well is that they're generally quite active and they, they really like the idea of standing desks they like to be standing instead of sitting and it kind of aligns with with kind of our client type but but i think a standing desk is a really good solution in the van builds We've approached that a couple different ways in, in past builds. It's funny, we tend to get that requirement from customers when it's on the smaller chassis that we build on, which is kind of ironic, but we tend to get the ones that want the standing desk when it's the shorter chassis. So it makes the, the creative design side a, a fun challenge for us. But there's a couple different ways we've done that, um, and it's turned out really well. Uh, we can use the space in some very clever ways to allow for you to have a couple different seating options for a seating desk. And at the same time, you can also have one or two options for standing as well, um, which works really, really well. And then in terms of, of internet and access too, obviously in the city, it's relatively easy if you have service on your phone, but to kind of bump that up another level, um, we've actually integrated a package that we offer that's an onboard Wi-Fi system. So essentially it's just like your home network at home, but it's right to your van. So it does have a SIM card in it. You have a data plan just like you would with your phone or at home. Um, but it is the the home network in the van, which is really really nice, and you get a you get really good service across North America, uh, and then even now we're looking at potentially doing Starlink in the vans too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, have you heard about this? Yeah, actually, I have um, a former colleague. He moved out to a ranch in Montana. I guess that was where they were testing Starlink. So he's had it for I think two or three years now. He said there's a couple issues when they got it set up, so they can't service guy came back, but he's like, this is incredible, like it totally changed the way he was able to work. Like he couldn't do any sort of like Zoom meetings or any video or any sort of large document. He could kind of just like send emails with Excel sheets. And once he had that, he's like, I'm I'm on a ranch, you know, right near Glacier National Park, but I've got connectivity like I used to have in Calgary. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they just made, from my understanding, this is like brand hot off the press, but they just made some changes to their plans so you can go I think pay as you go so you can kind of like stop and start your plan whenever you'd like which really appeals to our clients because they'll go maybe like one month at a time kind of on the road and they'll work while they're there Um, apparently the accessibility is amazing we haven't tried it yet ourselves and they have a new little dish that's meant to be like a little bit more mobile it's still a little bit bigger than we'd like it to be but I imagine as as things continue to progress they'll try and get that as small as possible so it's pretty cool. We've had a, a few people reach out to us about it already. Yeah, I feel like that would be a big game changer because I know uh, here in Canada, like I, I was talking to a guy, another podcast recently, and he he walked kind of the length of Norway. And I said, wasn't it lonely? And he's like, I just go on Instagram or YouTube. And I'm like, but you, you were like at the northern tip and you were in the mountains. He's like, 
every mountain has a cell phone tower. And I said, oh, here in Canada, like once you leave the, the town, there's nothing like, you know, when we, when I go backpacking, there's no cell service. And he, he said, oh, that sounds so nice. And I, I think, uh, yeah, here in Canada, without that, uh, that satellite dish, like you can't do anything in the mountains because you just, you have no connectivity and it is just so hard to, you know, you got to go into town to, to get a connection. Yeah. yeah, I don't think the Starlink is available in Canada yet, but I know it's on their plan. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's funny, though. I see it as like a blessing and a curse because I personally I love going to the mountains so that I have to disconnect. Right. It's like that forced sign out of your email. You can't even check it if you want to. So I'm like, I don't know. I see the pros and the cons to it for sure. But uh, for people who are working and traveling on the road, working on the road while they travel, it's going to be a game changer for sure. It'll be nice. But then you'll miss out the, oh, I can't work. I'm, you know, in the middle, I'm on, a, I'm on a forest service road in BC. There's no cell service. I'm out of touch for three days. That, you know, that's a nice part of, you know, just kind of living here in Canada. When your customers come back after they've had their van for, you know, a month or a year, what do they say is the best part of kind of the transition from, you know, using tents or using tent trailers or using Winnebago's or motorhomes to using kind of this, you know, sprinter van style? Yeah, I think there's a, a few things. Um, on like the, the tangible side, I would say being able to go further than they could in their previous rig. So for example, if they came from, you know, a, a typical RV or a truck and trailer, I think being in our builds, specifically in the four-wheel drive models, the ability to go beyond where they would have gone before is really nice. And, you know, not to say that they're rock crawling in Moab by any means, but they, but being able to go off that beaten path a little bit further and then had do so with confidence gets to, to some pretty unique places that they couldn't access with, with other vehicles. And so they, good. yeah, so like that. And then, yeah, like Alex said, the way we design these things too is very different uh, technically than how RVs are designed. And what I mean is we truly design these things to be fully off the grid and not be, you don't need to find a plug-in campsite. You don't, you don't need to fill a propane tank, you know, you don't, so you don't have to worry about those types of things. You don't have a big giant black tank underneath the vehicle you have to dump. So I, to be as off grid and completely self-sufficient um, as possible is, is a huge thing for us. And I think that we design with that intent and we I think that that feeling uh, is shared with the owner of the van once we're done as well, to, to have that feeling of, I've got everything I need for any trip that I might come against, whether it's rain or snow or sun um, have what I need and and uh, and that feeling is is, is very freeing I think um, and I think that ties into my second point of the intangible I think I think one of the big things that we get for feedback is people realize that they don't need as much as they thought that they needed and so what I mean is like you know maybe at their in their their house or their condo or their previous you know larger RV they might have had a whack load of stuff um, I think being able to force yourself to whittle away a lot of those things and really question um, if you need this thing on this trip or not, because you only have so much space in the vans, it forces you to really focus and prioritize what you truly need, whether it's for a trip or for full-time living. Um, I think that mindset uh, really lightens people's um, loads in their mind. And I think lightens the stress and lightens them as a person to feel like um, yeah, they're a little more free than they might have been before. So I think that's a big one that you've heard from clients as well. It's interesting. I, I hadn't thought of that, but I actually totally understand that. And, you know, even, you know, we're going camping this week. I have three little boys. It's a ton of work, but it, it is kind of this freedom because 
there's nothing else to do. You know, we go for some walks and, you know, we read books and play games, but it's, it's the freedom from all the daily life. What you do is take it to the next level. So it's the freedom from having to pack everything up and unpack it. And, you know, it's the whole setup and teardown. You just rock up somewhere, put the parking brake on, level up the van and, and you're ready to go. You don't have to worry about all the other hassles that happen. You know, if you've got an RV or, or a tent trailer or like us, just a massive kid's tent. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Is the people who have figured out how to use their van really effectively have like the van packed and ready to go kind of at a moment's notice. So they've got like their clothes in there, whatever they need. They've got their kind of extra set of pots and pans and stuff like that. And they just take off every weekend. It's super cool because, yeah, they can go whenever and wherever they kind of want. So yeah, that was actually uh, something else is like, what are changes people have to make going from the tent trailer or the RV or the tent into the van where they're, you know, likely going to be longer. They're not going to be in one place or I suppose some are, but you don't go in a van to kind of hang out at a campsite for seven days. You're moving around. What are some of the changes people have to make when they switch from kind of this conventional way of traveling to a van? Yeah, there's lots of different things. I would say the biggest one is that there's just a switch to like more conscious consumption. You don't have an endless amount of power. You don't have an endless amount of water and depending on where you are and, and how you're set up. But, you know, so you want to be a little bit more conscious about the way you use uh, your amenities and, and your vehicle. So that's one switch you kind of have to change your mindset. And honestly, I think it's just a good mindset to have in general, right? Like, let's be a little bit more conscious about how we consume these things. So what else do you think? Mm, yeah, I, th I agree. And I, I think also it's just, just the sheer number of things that you have. I think, like I said, is forcing yourself to whittle away the unnecessary stuff. I think, um, you know, for example, I know there's lots, it's a big movement of minimalism happening. It's been happening for, I don't know, a decade. Um, and I, I really think this connects with that super well. Um, and that feeling of, of lightness and, and necessities only, I think that is a big shift from traditional travel, RV travel, um, all the way to vans, I think is a, is a big change that people have to make as well. Mm. And it'll vary from build to build as well. Like our builds range, we like to say there's like a spectrum in the van world of like fully tiny home. This thing is built with like tiles and materials that you'd see inside like a, a regular home all the way to the spectrum of the other side of the spectrum where it's like fully utilitarian, very functional, not very comfortable. It really has only one purpose and it's kind of to be that tent on wheels or mobile base camp and we like to build somewhere in the middle so you have that uh, little bit of the creature comforts but also the functional side of things build with materials that are going to last the test of time and um, we put different types of amenities in there based on our client needs and requirements but yeah it's kind of going to depend like some of them might have like a full interior shower and some of them might not have a shower at all so it really comes down to like what what you want to scope into your build also and how how uncomfortable or comfortable you want to be within that kind of frame so what's the most you know you talk about amenities amenities what's the most unique amenity that you guys might put into uh into a build it's a good question hmm. well we certainly get a lot of requests for unique things generally we, we try to guide people like with our experience to make sure that at the end of the day, they're going to be happy with their choice in five, 10 years down the road. They're not going to be calling us and saying, man, I really hate that we put this thing in. You know, we want to make sure that 
our, our role is clear in that we are here to make sure that they are really happy with their decision and their design a month out, five years out, 10 years out. So with that said, we tend to kind of uh, yield and, and deal with a lot of requests that maybe on paper seem really good, but in our experience um, tend to cause someone to be unsatisfied. What I mean is people love to overcomplicate the, the build at the design stage because they're really excited and that's, that's great. But often we've heard that uh, simpler is better in the long run and people tend to want those creature comforts less than they think they will. Mm -hmm. So what, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is we get a lot of requests for, for some crazy things, but I think at the end of the day, we, we like to consult people on what we think that they're going to be happy with a year out, five years out, 10 years out, um, and make sure that we, we can guide them on that journey. Um, and then in terms of like features that we actually do that are unique, I would say one that we actually are doing more and more, especially for our Canadian clients, is a, a radiant in-floor heating system. And so that one's quite unique in, in our industry. And it's really nice for our Canadian clients uh, because not only does it help to, to heat up your vehicle more efficiently, because we're heating up the mass of the subfloor versus forced air, um, but it's a really unique way to add some comfort and something a little more fun for the Canadian clients. Than, uh, and it's a, kind of a unique way that we're approaching heating lately in, in our recent events. I agree with everything Pat just said there. To tag team on that, I think you don't want to put things in your van that are going to require a lot of maintenance. And I think that's sometimes people don't think those things all the way through. Like we have requests for like ovens and washing machines and things like that. And we're like, the purpose is not is not to have all of the comforts that you have in your home, right? Like you want to go out there and be a little bit more minimal than how you would live in the city. So, but yeah, the in-floor heating system, that's one of my favorites because... You know how it is in Canada. We get out of bed in the morning. You want to step down and have a nice, cozy floor. So. Yeah. I watch all these, you know, travel, you know, YouTube travel channels. And uh, one of the guys put in a wood stove in his van. And I was like, is he going to use it? And then at the end of the, you know, just about a week ago, he's like, he used it every night, all winter. He's like, I'm actually disappointed. I can't use it now in summer because it's too hot. And he was, you know, he's down in the States and here in Canada. And I thought... That's really cool to have a wood stove in the back of your van. Uh, do you guys do many wood stoves or is that kind of uh, a rare occurrence for, for you at Yama? Yeah, we, we don't offer that here, just liability-wise, if someone's starting a fire in their van. Actually, that's what he said. He's like, don't do this. I did it. You can buy this, but don't do it. And he was very, he made a big deal about that because, yeah, the fire issues. <laughs> yeah, but but honestly, like when, when it comes to someone doing a DIY build, I think it's a really cool thing to consider. Uh, but just as professional builders, we we can't take on that liability of of a, of a fire in the van. But um, but I I agree. I've heard some cool things about it. I think it's a cool way to heat up the van really quickly. I know they pump out a bunch of heat, so I like it for uh, for a DIY build for sure. One thing I've heard about with vans is sometimes they have an issue with humidity, especially kind of in colder time. And so you know my my nephew did a van build was living out in Nelson, and he said that was the biggest issue he faced. How do you guys deal with humidity? Or is it just they're, they're DIY, they don't know how to deal with humidity, and that's why I have these issues, whereas you guys are professional, so you put in you know, all the solutions when you're building it so humidity doesn't become a, a massive issue. Yeah, I think there's a few things. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's not an overly complex thing, and I feel like a lot of DIYers are doing a really good job overall. A couple things to consider is one is what the vapor barrier is on that van. So, if, you know, vapor barrier is one of those topics in vans that 
is highly debated online, but um, you have to consider what that barrier is. So whether it's behind your wall paneling or whether it is your wall paneling itself, um, considering what that barrier is to protect all of your wiring and all the steel in the van is important. Um, and then I think the second thing is to make sure you have airflow. So, you know, whether you have a great barrier, you have no barrier, whatever the case is, at the end of the day, you have to have proper ventilation for that, that vapor to leave the vehicle. Um, I think even if it's, if you're camping in the winter, which Alex and I actually do in our old van more often than the summer. Um, so we're in the, we're winter camping all the time. And even when it's cold out, you want that fan to be on your roof fan. You have to have it circulating air all night and you have to have a window crack to get that airflow. And those, those heaters that you see in, you know, DIY builds or professional builds, those diesel heaters love to work hard. So they, they want to burn hot uh, and that makes them work better. So if you have to crank that thing up a little further to get that ventilation to work and keep that heat, uh, that's totally a good thing. Uh, we want those heaters to be working hard. That's how diesel likes to work. So Well, there, I've, I've now learned how to solve that. And I can tell my nephew, because he didn't put in any vapor barrier. He just, I can't remember what he did. I think he, he, put, he built a, a bed frame and put a couple of drawers in it. And then he's like, great, I've got a handle. It was very utilitarian. Like, what are the big decision decision points when a person's making a build? You know, when somebody comes in, like, I know power must be one of them. I'm sure, like, there's the layout. But are there other issues that are kind of, like, fundamental to the design, like water or other things like that? Yeah, for sure. There, there's, there's certainly lots to go through. And I, I think it can be sometimes overwhelming for people. You know, a lot of people that reach out to us, you know, they've been considering this for, you know, one, two, maybe three years. It's obviously, it's a big decision and, and they've been researching and reading lots of stuff, which is great. Um, so they have lots of ideas, but it can often feel like it, there's so many thoughts and things to consider. And I think at the end of the day, it kind of blends into a few different things. And, and one, like you alluded to, is climate control. So that connects on a lot of different facets but that would take into account where you're living or you're going to be traveling to. Um, is it a four season or a three season or a two season? Um, those types of things. How are we going to heat this or also cool this? Ventilation, all that type of stuff. So climate control is a big, big component that touches on a lot of things. Um, in climate control too, you'll also look at if it's a winter use vehicle, how are you going to heat those tanks? If your water tanks are outside, things like that. So that's a, a big category is climate control. Uh, power is obviously a big one too. Um, so power is less so about how many amp hours you read online you need to have in a van build. That's, that's less of the important thing. It really comes down to how you're going to use the vehicle, what kind of appliances you have, what are your electrical loads, what does a typical day look like, and where are you going to be using this? You have to consider what kind of sunshine you're going to be receiving, how often you're going to be driving to charge the batteries. So all of more of the, the use case and, and how you're going to be using this thing is important to then determine the power need of that vehicle. And so what we do as a builder is we'll have all of that be very conversational, very collaborative, um, but we'll take your, your answers and then we'll obviously bump a lot of things up to allow that your, your power system is more than sufficient. So you're not going to have power anxiety like you'd have. You want to make sure that you're comfortable but consuming consciously. So climate control and power are kind of the big core technical sides of things. Um, and then a lot of the fun stuff comes from there in terms of exterior gear. Do you want this thing to be kind of doomsday ready or super minimal and discreet? Um, how that kind of lays out. Um, and then in terms of interior stuff too, we'll look at the kind of sections of our layout in sort of chunks. So we'll have like a, a living space to talk about, a kitchen to talk about, a bathroom to talk about. 
a sleeping area to talk about, and then the garage. So it kind of comes into those different categories where we're, they're all up for discussion based on what you think you're gonna be using the vehicle for. And then we'll kind of blend that with our professional experience and come up with a, a really cool solution. And I love the term power anxiety because when I'm doing a long backpack, I have that. It's like, okay, I got all my maps on my phone. I've got an old tiny iPhone that has a backup, but I'm always like every day, I'm like, well, shit, I can't take any more video because I can't lose the maps. And it's, uh, I know the feeling on a much more micro scale. If someone's saying, okay, I want to make the first step. I want to get into Yama to do a build. What's the process from like day one to day whatever when they when they actually take delivery? Yeah, our, our process is on our website for sure. If someone's ever curious, take a look at what the process looks like. It's on the website for, mm-hmm. for uh, people to take a peek at. Um, but at a very high level, um, essentially in terms of scheduling, because of the size of these projects, we're typically booking nine to 12 months out, generally speaking, and that, that fluxes a bunch, but that's kind of the general idea. What that means is if you call us today, there's a good chance our next available spot to start a new project would be nine to 12 months out. Um, so with that, that actually, that lead time is really helpful. It kind of sounds like maybe it's a lot, but um, it's really helpful to give us time to properly design this thing, consider your needs case, um, really look at the aesthetic vibe of what you're looking for, give us time for procurement too. A lot of our parts that we're buying for these vans are coming from the U.S., from Europe, they're all over. So the U.S. proper time for procurement is a big one, particularly coming out of COVID. Supply chain has been, been a bit of a tricky one. So that period of time is, is used for sure. But in terms of what happens after you've reserved that spot um, is we'll look at designing the vehicle. So once that spot's reserved in our schedule, we'll look at designing that vehicle with the customer. So that process is really fun. We get the customer to come to our shop here in Calgary, whether they're from Alberta, whether they're from the U.S., wherever they're from. They come here and meet the team get the hands on the materials, get to know us a little better, obviously, as well, um, and really go through a full design consultation. And in that meeting, we'll go through recommended layouts and features, functionality. We'll talk a whole ton about their use case, how they plan to use it, what they want to do with it. Um, We'll go through materials and finishings as well. Um, And then from there, we'll produce some nice 3D renderings as well. So these will really kind of bring all of those pieces together into a nice visual to make sure that we're all on the same page. And of course, we can tweak things and change things there. It's much better to tweak things and change things in the design phase than it is in the build phase. Um, so once those are all perfect and everyone's happy with those, we'll sign off on those. And then we'll wait until we start about two or three months before the build start month. We'll start to buy the stuff, meaning that we'll build a client a portion for the deposit of the build then. And then we'll start buying the materials, getting them ready. So when their van arrives, we can just start going from, from there. So um, once the van's in our shop, um, it's typically, depending on the scope of the build, it'll be kind of that three-month mark for the production period. And it can be a little bit longer, a little shorter, depending on the build. Um, but once it is done and all of our testing is completed in-house, we'll have that customer come by and pick up the vehicle, walk them through it thoroughly, make sure they're comfortable. Um, and then we even recommend doing a field test. So what I mean is, particularly for our customers in the U.S., when they fly in to pick up the vehicle, we say, you know, just go enjoy our backyard. It's beautiful here. Go enjoy it for a few days get to know the van a little better, and then stop back at the Yama shop before they go home. Just if they have any more questions or clarification, uh, things they're unsure about, make sure they're really feeling good before they head home. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a really fun experience, actually. As a customer, you're involved 
but you kind of have no responsibility. You just got to say, I like this. Then you leave and you come back six months later. Oh, hey, we got a, nine months later, we got a van. It's like a nice home renovation because, you know, it, the scope is minimal and, and there's not as much uncertainty. Uh, I think this is just really, really cool. And uh, the way you described it, kind of like the, the aspect of freedom and, you know, decluttering, kind of freeing your mind of all these, you know, things that are weighing you down and, also just like the consciousness and consumption, whether or not it's selecting good materials for your build, but also just consciousness, you're using power, you kind of realize, okay, I had to, you know, we had to drive 100 kilometers to, to get our battery charged. Okay, I don't have any solar or, you know, it's going to be cloudy, we can't get any solar. You start to realize kind of the inputs into that make the outputs of stuff we use where um, it seems such a valuable experience as people do more of this to kind of understand their lifestyle and, and make, you know, small changes as, as they do this. So I never thought of any of these things, but as you were talking, they totally resonated with me. So I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing everything about Yama. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. It's been really fun. And I hope, uh, I hope we get to meet you in person here one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. We're, we're both in Calgary. So I'm sure at some point we'll see each other and uh, yeah, I want to come and see your van. So <laughs> Please do, for sure. That'd be great. Uh, so if you want to know more about van conversion, uh, you can check out yamavans.com. There's lots of information there. Also, if you just like cool vans in nature, uh, go on social, Yama, uh, at yamavans, and uh, you can just kind of uh, you know travel along vicariously. With that, thanks for listening to this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear more about epic adventures. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. If you liked it, why not give us a review? Better yet, subscribe and get inspired again and again. Also, if you want to find your own adventures, why not check out 10adventures.com where you can use our free resources to plan your own trip or book a tour in over 60 countries and make your own epic memories on your next adventure.